0: Hello there, everybody. Welcome to You're Going to Die, the podcast. Your new favorite true crime podcast. (laughs) I actually wonder how many people come across this podcast thinking, oh my God, it's another true crime podcast. You're Going to Die, the podcast. This one's about you getting murdered. (laughs) Sorry, no. No, 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 no. If you're listening for the first time, uh... If you're listening for the first time, don't go anywhere. This isn't a true crime podcast about your murder. Uh, This is about your inevitable death, though. (laughs) It's all of ours. All of ours. Okay, you're not alone. We're all in it together. We're all in this mortality thing together. Billions of people have done it before. Billions of people will do it again. I mean, like for sure, that's that's like 100% for sure at this point. I mean, I get that there's maybe the singularity and, and you know, people and science and, and medicine, technology, ending death. Uh, that's going to be that's going to be a real blow to our promoting and marketing this podcast, a real blow um, to what we're doing in the world. But for now, uh, we're of some value in this podcast is not a true crime podcast. It is a creatively conscious mortality podcast for the time being in this this day and age where we do die, people die, and we all likely will. Death is still very real and inevitable, and we're just trying to make room for it here, a little audio refuge for you listeners to bring your mortality and see where it meets my mortality and our guests'. Mortality, healing professionals, medical professionals, artists, musicians, writers, really anybody, my hope, anybody uh, that's willing to be vulnerable and visible and show up here and share about their unique experience of being mortal. And in some way, like I Hope You're Going to Die offers in all its forms, um, in some way giving us a chance to inspire our life from what happens here to deepen our understanding of what it means to be alive and eventually die. And, you know, it's been really special, this this podcast, to have a lot of conversations with people that I just can't even believe I got to talk to. You know, uh, the episode with uh, Amelia Meath of Sylvan Esso, uh, our last episode with Andrea Gibson, Frank Olstaseski, BJ Miller, Alua Arthur. The list is so special and long now um of people I've had the the luck or opportunity to be able to talk about these things with but no and it's special to have this show to be able to share with you listeners the people in my life that aren't just musicians and artists and medical professionals that are that are out in the world well known for what they do and where it intersects with this particular mortality conversation, the podcast also gives me a chance to share the special people in my life, like personally, that influence my own experience of being alive and, and my own relationship with grief and loss and death and dying. And this episode is is unique as an opportunity for that especially. You know, we all have those people in our life, I'm sure you do, if you're not one of them, actually, who have lost so much and so many. And they, having been through that, offer a place for you to go where you know you'll find understanding when you face your own losses and hold your own grief. I actually watched this. Instagram video of John Mayer and comedian Jeff Ross, Um, you know, Bob Saget just died and they actually were both very close to him and showed up to help the family after he died. And one of the things they did is they went to LAX to pick up his car. His car was still at the airport. And so this video is John Mayer driving the car back with Jeff Ross in the passenger seat, talking about the the death of their dear friend, and it's very like live grieving. It's worth watching for actually some like laughter, like relief, but also really powerful to see, especially John Mayer like crying, like breaking down, feeling it, feeling this this death and loss of his dear friend so there's a lot of moments in it that I say is it's worthwhile to check out but one thing I particularly loved is this this thing that John Mayer articulated which is that Bob Saget is a friend in his life who you would go to who would get what it felt like to lose Bob Saget It seems to me that John Mayer was articulating this loss of a friend who's the kind of friend he would have taken this grief to. He even said something about feeling vulnerable in a way he isn't usually because Bob Saget is gone. The guest on our episode today is a, a version of that I know in her life to other people, so many people. What was unique about having this conversation on the podcast is it's kind of the first time we really talked in depth about it. Like we have talked about the the losses that that Laura has incurred in her life, uh, but we never really had this like one on one chance ever to really like drop in and talk about all of it about her sister's death when she was eight, about her father's death when she was 13, about her best friend's death, which is kind of like right after that is when I met and started to know Laura, um, her brother's death, um, her her dealing with miscarriages and um, all that grief and loss. We've never had a conversation that held it all. So it it was so good to have Laura say yes to this so we could have this private intimate conversation that we've never had and I think really I've always wanted to and then simultaneously this private special thing uh to be that like we need it like she and I needed and then something like that could occur and so then be an offering to all of you listening and there's all the equal parts I think which is really lovely with a friend where there's laughter and the connected knowing and the tears. I can't listen to this without crying them again because of some of these moments that Laura and I share. Laura is a daughter, a sister, wife, mother, and friend. The number one most important thing in life to her is her people. A trained musician, she still plays and sings but the majority of her creative energy these days gets poured into 10 hours a day of elaborate spreadsheets and PowerPoint presentations. (laughs) She's very much in the world creatively, but also in the real ways we need to be sometimes, navigating work and family life, capital L-I-F-E. She has two master's degrees in normal subjects and according to one of her friends, a PhD in death. I would I would concur. I was not the friend that said that, but I'm going to be the second friend to say so. I hope you find a little of what you need, at a minimum you enjoy and are entertained, and at a maximum get a little medicine for your mortality from this episode of You're Going to Die the podcast with my friend Laura Powers.
1: I am actually really proud of myself. (laughs) Um, I think given some of the experiences of my young childhood adulthood around losing loved ones and not just losing loved ones like, oh, that's tragic and unfair. Like there are there were additional issues in my household growing up that were really challenging. Uh, So. Mm maybe without getting into too much detail when my dad died, when I was 13, the first emotion that I had was relief. Mm. So, uh, I've talked with, you know, a few people as I've gotten older and kind of, I don't know, matured or maybe just more time and space has happened between those Mm -hmm. experiences. And now I don't really share, like, I would say I have some close friends now who don't, really know too much about like my family or what I went through as a kid. Um, And I feel like I'm sort of okay with that. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: But the friends who I have shared with a lot of people have responded to me like, wow, you're like, I'm surprised you're doing so well. Um, Mm. You know, a lot of people that have gone through that, like wouldn't have done so well. And, Mm. you know, like I said, I have two brothers and one, is very successful, has a very loving family, is doing really well. Um, And the other, like, totally lost his path. And early on from losing our sister and our dad, he just couldn't cope. You know, he, he, starting at, like, age, I don't know, 15, while our sister was still alive but very sick, he just couldn't deal. He, like, moved out of the house when he was... Not done with high school yet. He dropped out of high school. He fell in with like kids who were really into stealing their parents' car and breaking shit, and you know, doing drugs and all that stuff. And he never, he never grew out of that. I mean, that was thirty plus years of his life. That that was just kind of how he was. um So I guess I didn't say, "Hey, I want to join your podcast to talk about how proud of myself I am." <laughs>
0: Um, but great that it naturally came up you deserve deserve a moment
1: to say it out loud but more like in a way you know losing your loved ones is like really horrific and Mm. in a lot of ways I think I was like lucky that my brain chemistry didn't say hey Laura like spend the next 40 years of your life just like getting high Um, I mean, getting high is totally fun, but I see it as fun, not as something to like cope with my pain.
3: (laughs) Right, right. Escaping every day.
1: Yeah. And Mm -hmm. I think, um, I guess what compelled me to say, hey, let's chat is like, there's something really good that can come from really hard things in life. And that is recognizing that most of the other hard things in life that are not losing a person that you love are like, not that big of a deal. <laughs>
2: mm-hmm.
1: You know, like a mm-hmm. good example. <laughs> I have been having, um, I won't bore you with the details, but I had to transfer a retirement account when I started my new job. Oh,
0: tell me all, <laughs> tell me all the details.
1: <laughs> okay, today on my day off, my special day off, my like one yes. moment where I'm not going to have a newborn attached to me. Yeah, yep. I had to call this company to like, Asked them, hey, why did this transfer? I've been waiting for this for a couple months. Guess how long I was on hold for?
0: An hour and a half.
1: I was on the phone for three hours.
0: Oh my God.
1: Of my day off.
0: Your precious day.
1: Yeah. And I didn't get really super mad. I didn't, I mean, I was annoyed, Mm. but I was just like, okay, well, this person's doing their job. They obviously have a long Mm. queue. It's probably because of COVID. Mm-hmm. Um, it's okay. I'm annoyed, but I'm gonna put my phone on speaker and I'm gonna do other things in the house that need to get done and I'm gonna try to be like mindful and chill about it. And I think I literally live my life like that because the mm. the joke or the comment, like at least nobody died, like that is literally how I live my life. <laughs> yeah. You know, this stuff like that is yeah. annoying, but you From just experience. do it. Yeah, right. at least nobody mm-hmm. died. Like I'm alive, my family's alive. We're okay.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think about you as super chill and graceful in light of everything um, that you've been through. And I so appreciate that. And then I guess I've kind of always wondered, like, what was it like to not be that when they did die? You Mm -hmm. know, like, I've been talking a lot about people feeling the need to like wail. Mm
2: -hmm. I mean,
0: literally like the last episode, I mentioned that a friend of ours, mom just died. And I I ran into her and she said, you know, that she's, she's feels like she just wants to wail and cover herself in dirt. Mm -hmm. And, you know, being someone who's super, you know, uh, you know, we're talking on a podcast. It's like, that's been my last 10 plus years and the, and before too, mm-hmm. but definitely the last 10 years or so with You're Going to Die, so visible. Yeah. So visibly grief stricken at times. Yeah. And knowing from you saying so, and also from my experience, how private you you are with, with your grief and loss. Um, I'm wondering like, did you have the place to wail and cover yourself in dirt? Did you feel like you needed it? Do you, you know, what was that like? I mean, that's a big question after everything you've lived through. But I'm I'm kind of wondering about that in contrast to like your ability to be chill and deal with a three-hour call like you did today.
2: Well, it makes me wonder
0: if you got all that stuff out, you know, at some point so that you could be chill with the rest of life.
1: I think when I have lost people... I have had like a really acute and really intense experience of that um, with like the wailing and gnashing of teeth thing Mm -hmm. in my own way. Um, When my oldest friend, Brianna died in the car crash, um, I like felt like my head had flown off. Like I didn't, Mm. I couldn't. I was on a scavenger hunt in San Francisco with friends. We were supposed to go find like the cornerstone that had some etching in it or, you know, one of those, one of those things where you get a list of stuff.
2: And so I was like in the
1: middle of Washington Park, I think is what it's called, like in the financial district. And
2: mm-hmm.
1: I got this phone call from her sister and I was like, that's so weird. She's calling me because Bree was supposed to be like on her way to my house, you know, the next day. She's going to stop in Southern California to visit her family for Easter. And I got this phone call and I just sat down and like my body just turned to like jelly. I couldn't walk anymore. I was in a park. Um, Fortunately I I was with really close friends and I could just like barely get out the words like Brianna died and I was like shaking and like gasping um, yeah. at that time I smoked cigarettes. <laughs> so mm-hmm. I was like, <laughs> I just need to get cigarettes right now. We walked to like a corner store. I got cigarettes, but I remember not really being able to walk. Um, mm. and then my roommate was out of town. So my friends who I was with were like, you're staying with us tonight. And I just hold up and one of their roommates, like grody. 20 something bed sheets that probably hadn't been washed in
2: like, who knows how long. I
0: was
1: like, okay, I just didn't sleep That's all. my dirt.
0: That's the dirt you covered yourself in. <laughs>
1: yeah. I didn't sleep like all night and um mm. I remember this experience of seeing her name, like her full mm. first and last name just going across my eyeballs like a ticker tape like mm. all night. And I got out of bed. I had to climb out of this, you know, this janky like Loft beds that people build above their desk.
2: <laughs> and they yes. crawl
1: out of that. I crawled out of that like three or four times over the course of the night because I was just not sleeping. I went outside on the porch and just like chain smoked and was out of my mind. Um, mm-hmm. And then the next day, I remember, was the Hunky Jesus contest in Dolores Park. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I, I think you were there, Ned. I don't remember if you were there. I know Sarah Desray were there.
0: Um, I mean, it makes sense that I would have been at a hunky, uh, <laughs> hunky Jesus <laughs>
1: contest. So it's so I, I don't think just For
0: the, all the listeners, I want to be clear. I don't think I was trying to win anything at that. I just might have been an audience member.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and I just remember kind of walking across the park. And again, like my legs not really working. And um, I think I felt that way for like about two weeks where I just... Mm. I, it wasn't crying hysterically. It wasn't like beating the dirt with my fist, but I just was not, uh, it was like a physiological shock. Um, Mm -hmm. so I guess I just have reacted in different ways. Um, what's weird is sometimes when I've had a loved one die, I've just thought like, well, yeah, this is inevitable. Like, uh, you know to your point you're going to die everybody's going to die um so yeah. it's just an inevitable inevitability I mm-hmm. had a good friend from college died earlier this year then in march from colon cancer which she struggled with for 3 years and it was really awful just like a really really horrible disease and when she died i just i was really angry cuz i was like she didn't she wasn't even 40 yet she brought so much joy to so many people she was so beloved this is bullshit. <laughs> I was just really mad for a couple yeah. of weeks, but I didn't like, again, like cover myself in dirt. I just, it's like, I know we're all going to die, but when it happens, it's like, this fucking sucks. Like, why does it have to keep happening? You know? Um, I guess that's how I feel about it.
0: Well, I also think, and this is something that you maybe meant by including in, in talking about what we might share during this conversation. Um, But you say, you said in your little form that at eight years old, you were already kind of thinking about the risk of life, like the losses, the inevitability of loss. And I'm, I'm wondering if you just sort of like randomly pick that age or do you remember at eight years old getting present to that.
1: I mean, that's, it's not now. random. That's the, that is when my sister died. Oh, um, right. You were eight. Yeah. And I think from there on, I just like kind of assumed everyone was going to around me. Um, mm-hmm. It's, it, I mean, it's persisted today and I have to like put myself in check, but um before I was married, I whenever I would take a flight and I'd I be by myself, mm-hmm. I would text my mom no matter what, even if I hadn't talked to her in a month or two months or you know, we lived in different cities, different states. I would always text her, "Hey mom, FYI, I'm like hopping on a flight to such and such for work. Love you." <laughs> because in my brain it's like this will probably be the last time I say goodbye to my mom
0: because <laughs> this not even could be. Yeah. <laughs> Like, probably will be. Yeah.
1: And now that I typically take flights with another human, who's my husband, I don't, like, have that urgent feeling because I'm like, I'm with him. If we go down, you know, at least we're together. And it's not that Mm -hmm. I'm afraid of um, Mm -hmm. plane crashes. Like, I've traveled for work all the time. It's more Mm -hmm. just like... I am even I do this every morning when he leaves for work. I kind of insist on... Kissing him goodbye and saying, I love you. Cause it's like, who knows? His -hmm. work is only two minutes from our house, but like people go fast on that street, you know? Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. it's not like I'm obsessively anxious because I don't feel that way, but I just acknowledge every day, several times a day. That might be the last time I talk to that person. Mm -hmm. I'm just aware of it all the time. And, It could be like very exhausting if I was a more anxious person, but instead I'm just like, let me be intentional about saying goodbye just in case it is, you know?
0: Yeah. Are you thinking about these things every day? (laughs) This isn't, this isn't turned into a therapy session, but I mean it like, (laughs) is it something you're like, could you say that you have a thought like that every day?
1: Um, yeah. Mm I think I do. And... You know, something that he, so my husband actually is a therapist, <laughs> which is helpful.
2: Yeah. <laughs> oh, good.
0: <laughs> that's, that's a good lead into my next question, but go ahead. Finish your I, thought. I
1: told him once, like he, I think left without saying goodbye in the morning or something like that. I didn't, I didn't kiss him goodbye. And I think I texted him like, Hey, I'm feeling weird that I didn't kiss you goodbye. And it just, it's like a thing that's important to me. And we talked about it later at dinner that night. And he was like, Hey, it, you like, if, if something did happen to me, if I was killed by a car on the way to work or, you know, something crazy happened, you would know that I love you. Like you don't need the daily affirmation or the daily kiss for that to be true. Um, and yeah. that was really helpful to me. Cause it's like, it's not about mm-hmm. the daily acknowledgement that this could be the last time. It's like, I think in my heart, I know that at any time could be the last time because I have experienced that so many times.
0: So many times.
1: So it's like, I I think he helped me to not have to do something about it. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Like another Mm -hmm. thing is I used to save like every letter that like my close loved ones ever sent me. Um, Because in my brain, I'm like, when they die, I want evidence that we were close. Like I want this box oh, of geez, letters
0: you don't, from them. You don't
1: do that anymore? I <laughs> don't do
0: that anymore. <laughs> I'm definitely still doing that. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I mean, I do it to a degree. And and with letters from my mom, I, I do keep them. Because at this point, you know,
2: mm-hmm.
1: I have like a lot of my friends, most, not most, a lot of my friends have lost their mom. I know. And our I are friends. friends. And I can't, mm-hmm. that is going to be really, really hard for me. I'm, I kind of, I am, what's the expression? Like suspending belief or suspending disbelief or mm-hmm. whatever. <laughs> I do that. I'm like, nah, my mom, my mom's actually immortal. <laughs> mm-hmm. But I do save every card she gives me. Cause I'm just like, our time is limited. She's 73. We don't live in the same state uh, from COVID. I haven't seen her very much in two years. Like I'm saving every shred of anything that has her handwriting on it.
0: Well, I just want to take this quick moment to thank all of you who have been supporting and listening, reviewing, especially you reviewers out there. Thank you. It matters, believe it or not, especially Apple Podcasts. There's not a lot of places to review, but if you're listening to the podcast through Apple Podcasts right now, go in there and click a star for us. You could even do one star, but five stars would be preferable for obvious reasons. And if you're really feeling it, Put a couple words in there for that rating, a little review. This gets us on the radar for more listening. So please, thank you already. I'm saying thank you. So now you just have to do it because I thanked you for doing it already. But also just for listening. Go listen to all the episodes. Subscribe to the podcast in whatever way you listen, through whatever app you use. All that stuff, it matters. The numbers come through, and we're keeping track and doing our best to make this show good enough for your wonderful mortal ears. One of the ways I'm also wanting to say thank you to those of you for this way of supporting the podcast is by becoming a patron through Patreon. Super simple. If you don't need to hear more, just go to patreon.com forward slash YG2D. All of your contributions have been so helpful just to have that reliable funding to help us keep doing what we're gonna do anyway. I always say it, right? We're going to keep doing this. Like, I cannot imagine now stopping this, just like my favorite other parts of You're Going to Die. We're going to do the podcast, but boy, it would be nice to get your support to make it easier than ever before. So if you're feeling it, you're feeling the emotion, you're feeling the value on any level for listening to the podcast, please, go to patreon.com forward slash YG2D and become a patron for as little as $1 a month. And I know you're listening out there. I see your contributions coming through. It's so important to acknowledge, even if you can afford $1 a month, which quick math, that's $12 a year. Don't worry, I'll do that. I'll do that math. $12 a year. If you can afford that amount of money, It actually matters. I'm telling you, because people are putting a dollar a month in and it's inching our total amount up into a level that is needed. It's about community showing up and supporting these things. It's the only way you're going to die has ever made it to where it is today. So thanks in advance. Another thank you to all of you who are already going to Patreon to support more Of this being in the world and in your ears, I'll put the link in the liner notes. Patreon.com forward slash YG2D. Thank you already for becoming a patron today. We love you. We love your patronage. We love your patronage. Thank you so much. We like to take a couple minutes in every episode to kind of settle. I mean, I literally am doing that right now. Catch your breath. Close your eyes unless you're driving. Take a deep breath. We want to create that catch in the middle of our episodes, that moment to be kind of held where we can settle after so much listening, so many words, so much other content. And we also use that moment to acknowledge our guest a little bit more and it's led by them. I just asked them to send me content that means something to them. And I did that exact thing with Laura. She sent me this audio of hundreds of wind chimes. She said, it's one of the most peaceful moments she can remember in her whole life. She went on a weekend retreat before she moved to Utah, where she went to be with her now husband, the father of her two babies. And at this weekend retreat, this time she took to reflect on her life and her future, a place and time where she cried a lot of happy tears as things fell into place in a way that she. Needed after so many years of loss and heartache. In the midst of that retreat, she found this place, these trees with hundreds of wind chimes. And we want to share those wind chimes with you as a way of maybe giving you a little bit of that moment too in your life. And after we kind of are held by the wind chimes. I asked Nick if he wouldn't mind sharing a little bit from his book, Hitomi, which feels fitting here in the way I first knew Laura or her losses in in her life with the death of her best friend, Hitomi, Nick Jaina's novel, has a big theme in it of loss of a friend uh, who's missing and grief and how grief connects to that loss, grief manifested in that way. And so let these wind chimes hold you and then let Nick Jaina's words and music hold you a little more.
3: Chapter 52 What is Grief? Grief is stronger than you because time is nothing. But when you fall for the trick of time all your love feels wasted on those who are no longer present because sprinklers create rainbows because linoleum is not comfortable to sit on but you never want to get up because all of life is a game and the little games remind us of this even though they make us feel stupid. But feeling stupid is the point. Because Europe is a far off place we never went to together. And now it's sitting there untouched by our feet because of your fever, because the spark, because the block letters.
1: even remember this but someone told me that I like started going to the school therapist like in elementary school um mm-hmm. I don't honestly remember that and I don't remember if it was my mom or a teacher or somebody who just said yeah that, I just wanted to do that it was like you know you go to the nurse or you go to the, the counselor <laughs> mm-hmm. um, I have talked to other people like all my life for, you know, for many, many years. Um, I don't have like a long-term therapist. Typically when I need to talk about fears or anxiety they might have, it's like, it feels more like a time bound thing that I get through mm-hmm. and then I can kind of move forward. Um, but like after I lost, um, my first pregnancy, I went to a therapist Specifically for that, because it's a very specific thing that I had no idea what that would feel like until it happened to me. Um, And it was really helpful because that person, like, specifically knew about losing a pregnancy, you know? Um, Yeah. I've always had comfort in talking about my stuff in a private setting for sure. Mm -hmm. And I Mm -hmm. think it's really valuable. Um, Yeah. I also, I mean, I think this is part of like what I was saying earlier, like I've just been like working and my job is like, well, it's enjoyable because it's intellectually challenging and I get paid well. Um, and that's something that, you know, when we lost our dad who had no life insurance and the sole provider, of our family, we had like tremendous financial trauma, my whole Teenage years into my twenties, so now that mm-hmm. I like actually have a paycheck and savings, I'm like I have to keep doing this. <laughs>
2: like, I'm, <laughs> yeah. I'm never going
1: <laughs> back. Um, uh-huh. But I don't have a lot of like creative outlets in my life right now. Um, but I am a musician. I like am a trained musician. I majored in music in college. I always played instruments growing up and sang in choirs. And I think that that was probably extremely beneficial for me as Mm -hmm. a kid who had a lot of, a lot of feelings inside. um, But just kind of, I don't know, needed a place to like make something beautiful out of it. Mm -hmm. Um, So I missed that. I feel
0: like like you did that like early, you're going to die open mic. Mm -hmm. You like played music. Yeah. Which is interesting, you know, in contrast, like I'm so appreciating getting to talk to you about all this because of maybe how we're different. Mm -hmm. And while I completely, you know, agree and put a lot of effort into making room for creative grieving, you know, um, creatively engaging, that's the kind of the point of you're going to die really. Mostly what I do is just say it all, Mm -hmm. you know, tell stories, talk kind of... Like I'm in therapy almost just just the nonprofit and all these events and everything built on me just using everybody for therapy you know <laughs> at every show, but I am just really loving the reminder that we all just we all don't work that way, you know, I get so I, and I think it's okay yeah. to get really firm and confident about the need for being with community mm-hmm. and like expressing grief with community, yeah. but also like you did do that with me and you're going to die, but it was in your way. Mm-hmm. You didn't get up. I don't think maybe you, I'm trying to remember if you ever like told stories of or talked about um, any of your losses I, at one of the open mics. I
1: did one time you explicitly mm-hmm. asked me to write something about loss.
0: Oh, right. Oh, right.
1: And it was actually really helpful for me. Because I wrote, I didn't just write like, here's what happened to me. And then this person died. And then this person died.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Which I just made you. do. Good. We got it. <laughs> that's me, right? It's like, I'm all about creative grief. And it's like, can you just make a list that fits into an Excel spreadsheet about your losses before we start the show? Yeah. Right. But yes, that's right. I, I remember that. Yeah,
1: I wrote like a story about a bear that had lost all of its fur. Mm. And... I remember it took you know I was like stressing about it because I I wanted it to be good. That's that's one of my that's one of my things in life. <laughs> I put a lot of pressure okay. on myself for stuff to be good. Um, but I recently, not that recently, probably three years ago, came across that little story because I had folded it up in some sort of book, and it, it was like about how this bear lost his loved ones the metaphor was he like lost all of his hair and then friends came and gave him sweatshirts and hats and scarves and Mm -hmm. and pants and he, Mm -hmm. it wasn't the same like his own fur would have been warmer and better, but Mm -hmm. it was something. And it also showed how much his friends loved him. And I think that's still, I'm, I'm interested in the way that my brain came up with that as like obviously mm-hmm. an experience that I have had. Because um, I think when I was younger, I think I thought that at some point I would feel like normal again, like I would feel yeah. whole or something. Um, but yeah. the fact is, I have never felt completely whole since I was eight. Um, and that's weird. I mean, I'm happy. I'm like fulfilled in my life. I have a wonderful family. Um but it's something's like wrong and something's missing and I'm acutely aware of that all the time. And it's, mm, it's yeah. cuz I lost my loved ones.
0: Yeah. It's so <sighs> strange to like it's hard to let that be.
2: Yeah, it sucks. <laughs>
0: because I want to I say like you should feel whole you know but there's something true about it
1: it's really like the truth I'm sorry go ahead
0: <laughs> no you go
1: one thing that's been super hard for me in like the age of Instagram and Facebook is those families that I mentioned, like from my church or my preschool growing up as the youngest of four kids. Like I have a number of friends. I mean, I had friends back then who were like the third one or the fourth one in their family. And, you know, we had older siblings that were the same ages and, those families have get togethers at holidays
2: now. Mm, yeah. And I see them still.
1: Yeah. yeah. And there's like 15 fucking grandkids and like both parents smiling, looking great. And that's really hard for me. <laughs> I'm so grateful that I have, I was able to have kids, you know, yeah. struggling with fertility for a couple of years, losing two pregnancies and then eventually i had to do ivf uh, which i did twice and like i have i'm i have two kids you know one's still inside my belly but hopefully it'll come out and not die in the next couple of days (laughs) Um, yes yes but it's hard you know my family's like very small compared to what it should have been or could have been and Mm -hmm. um i i do I don't feel bitterness or resentment toward those other families. I'm very happy for them. I'm just like, that's not fair. You know,
2: mm-hmm.
1: that's how this was supposed to look for me too. Um, and it doesn't. And I think that's why I like would text my mom before every play. It's like, it, you know, I, I, there's no more dispensable members of our family. Like let's, let's all survive now as long as we can guys. And recognize <sighs> yeah. that life is, Short, ultimately, but like, I'm not ready for my mom to die in her early 70s. I need her to be at least 105 before she
2: goes. (laughs)
0: Yeah, okay. (laughs) As long as we're clear and we're drawing boundaries. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. Well, you, you know, you deserve that. Thanks. (laughs) So like, why count it out as a possibility?
2: Right.
0: You know? Do you feel with this new baby coming soon, do you feel your dad kind of press up into that or show up at all? You know, like these life events that kind of like bring them forth maybe?
1: I think how I feel is that like... Living at all is—you have to do it with the acknowledgement that it can go away at any time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm not joking about like—I I will be super relieved if the birth goes well and the baby comes out breathing and is alive yeah, and survives the first year. And I—I—I I, I think I probably have more worry about that than a an average person. <laughs> yeah i also am really aware of the people in my life that my children will never meet and that's Mm -hmm. very strange to me you know even my own husband love of my life he knows all my loved ones he didn't ever meet my dad he didn't ever meet my Mm -hmm. sister he met my brother who died last year one time at our baby shower for our first kid um So he interacted with him for about 30 minutes total. And that's weird. I do think about that. It does. I don't know what the word was. You just said it presses up against my heart that Mm -hmm. like, you know, I have this vision. I think I'm a very like sentimental person when it comes to family. And I come from a pretty big family. Like my, my dad, had three siblings. My mom had four. There's like a bajillion cousins on both sides.
2: Um, We
1: always had big family reunions growing up. Like my life is not like that anymore. It's a very small, a lot of people have died, but also a lot of people have just moved apart or grown farther apart. So it's just, it's not how my kids are going to be raised and it's not how I like feel in the world anymore. I feel like we got our little thing going on. I live in Salt Lake City, far away from all my old friends and my family. And we're just like doing our thing, but it feels less connected than I felt like growing up in community. Mm. In some ways, I feel like that's a good way to protect my heart.
2: Mm.
0: Yeah, I was going to ask like, do you feel like you know you're you moved away some some way unconsciously to protect your heart
1: I didn't do that on purpose it just like happened that I met this guy that seemed pretty rad and I fell in love with him in about 12 mm-hmm. hours and then he lived in Utah so I moved there <laughs> yeah um
0: but it feels like kind of a buffer. It's, <laughs> buffer like a, from,
1: it's a little bit of a buffer. Like I'm not like, okay, yeah. now that we're settled and married, let's find a way to move back to one of our hometowns or, you know, where our mm-hmm. families are. It's like a little bit of a buffer provides like heart safety. I think.
0: hmm Do you feel like anything turned off in you when you were young, when you were eight and through those losses?
1: No, I actually don't. I think that, I think I acknowledged that I had a little bit uh, deeper understanding of life and mortality and death and illness just at a young age. And I tried to use that in a way to help other people that I knew who might be going through something similar. Yeah. Um, I think I felt like this thing was really sad. This thing's really unfair. I wish it hadn't happened to me, but because it did, I have some. I have to do something with it. Some sort of like responsibility. I was always like, I was like looked out for other kids, like in elementary school. (laughs) Yeah. And I think it's because. I mean, I don't know why. I think I just felt for people who were hurting because mm-hmm. I was hurting, but I was okay. I could still do school. I could still do piano lesson. I could still go to a soccer and like be okay and have friends and smile. Um, but in my heart, I knew that there was like this big thing missing that was extremely hard. So yeah. I don't know. I always got put in charge of like the screw up kids, like as their mentor. <laughs> <laughs> my my teachers would be like, uh, yeah. we're gonna have you be the special friend to so and so and make sure she like um doesn't get bullied at lunch and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Like I was that person. Mm-hmm. And I yeah. think it's because I I don't know. I like wanted to be extra loving to everyone because of that feeling of like this life is short I think maybe that's what it was I think I just it was forced upon me to learn and acknowledge that life is short my sister was only 14 when she died and she made Mm -hmm. like an amazing impact on a lot of people in that short time and I think I just was aware like life is short like let's help each other
0: 2021, Laura lost several loved ones, including a beloved college friend from colon cancer, someone she mentioned in in the episode, and her best friend's dad, very recently, of a rare neurological disease. And donations to their family's nonprofits of choice would be lovely. Listeners. For Anita, you can go to cancersupportcommunity.org. And for George, you can go to www.psp.org, and we'll put those links in the liner notes. Thank you, Laura. Nick Jana. Hi. Um, it was nice to include the segment from Hitomi in here. Uh, it's one of the first ways that I actually know you is from your book and you reading from it at You're Going to Die events. Mm-hmm. And it's both just lovely and worthwhile to share your your words and your music, like want to do that with the listeners. But also, and I've read the book now, and I know the whole thing, and so it feels good to let all of you guys know to get hitomi by nick jana and we'll put a link for that in the liner notes too but what i love about including it in this episode is how it connects to the theme that i don't think we've ever really talked about and it suddenly dawned on me today like the main part of the book is arguably not this missing friend it is It runs through it, but there's so much other stuff Mm -hmm. going on in the book, but it runs through it. And so then, of course, this missing friend who, you know, I won't say anything about, uh, I don't want to, no spoilers Mm -hmm. here, everybody, this round, but um, the grief connected to that and maybe like grief in general, because I feel like the book uses that as a way to like uh, let the main character kind of express maybe all grief or thoughts on grief in general, And so first of all, I want to acknowledge the influence of that, those words and your book in that way, and the way I love the book for that element. Um, But then also kind of like talk to you a little bit about how that came into Hitomi. Like how did that storyline in particular and grief too really show up? If you can reflect back on that and share a little bit about that, it'd be be nice to hear.
3: Yeah. It started to emerge as the flip side of a coin of loving a person who circumstances don't allow you to express that love or actually be with, um, the flip side of that being, uh, you know, missing somebody who is physically not there. Um, you know, the first thing the person is there, but like, you, you know, like it's not <laughs> appropriate. It's not allowed. It's not the situation. Um, the other one is someone that you do love and they're just gone. And just that, Um, You know, I think about this a lot in teaching writing and creativity is when there is a strong emotion and you try to put that aside and do the thing that you're supposed to do or, you know, I'm supposed to write about this thing. I'm feeling really strongly about this, but nobody wants to hear about that or that's boring or I can't say that. So, all right, put that aside. Let's write this other thing that never, never works. (laughs) You know, like you can't just shove that aside. Um, so similarly, I think there's you know this idea of grief being um, a love that can't be expressed or can't you know a, a love for something that is gone, you know um, just different iterations of that kink in the hose of a feeling and its full expression. That's what seems uh, it most interesting to me about people's lives is how often that happens in every day. This feeling that you can't express, you don't feel like you can express it. And all the repercussions that happen when you don't do that, you know, in my case, uh, I, my, my back goes out, you know, (laughs) like from, uh, from like shoving all those emotions in like a trash compactor and just saying like, yeah, forget about this. Don't feel this. Don't feel this. You know? Um, so I know you are, really conscious about offering a space for emotions to just be aired out and shown the light. And so many times, like, that's all they need is just, just someone that can say like, I feel this and I wish I didn't feel it, but here it is, you know? Yeah. Um, So that, those are the, those are the feelings that that came out of.
0: Yeah. It reminds me and correct me if I'm wrong, if there's no connection here, but (laughs) it does kind of remind me of away chelsea coleman our cfo and musician for so much of what we do and you're obviously your wife um but how she's described finding you're going to die was a moment to suddenly play all the songs also that she didn't feel like she could share at other concerts and venues and events and um you're describing this writing as a way to kind of like let that stuff stuff come into being finding a place for it and so then i wonder too you know when you found out about you're going to die or were invited by chelsea that first time did it have a moment was there a moment like that where it dawned on you like oh these are this is the segment these are the words this is the part i need to share that you maybe would really usually not share
3: uh from your book yeah uh, general events readings you know totally i mean i i i would share them at events just because i'm (laughs) a con a contrary performer
0: and chelsea Chelsea would play (laughs) play the songs too but just that it's a a a receptacle what's the word receptacle for (laughs) specifically those things
3: yeah i mean i'm just a contrary performer who likes to kind of stick it to an audience you know and not not give them (laughs) what they want yeah so yeah i mean i was in the middle of of writing hitomi when i first heard about you're going to die and came to the first show and played and yeah i was like oh i've got a million things i want to unpack here and talk about and songs i want to play and readings from this book um yeah because normally like most things in the public sphere like playing a show at a bar or even just posting something on instagram it feels like oh i'm gonna ruin everybody's everybody's kind of low-key having a having a party (laughs) yeah Yeah. whether it's like a just a graduation party or anniversary party. like You just kind of imagine everybody's kind of like in a trying-to-be-happy place, and you're like, I don't want to bring anyone down. But then, you know, you hear this over and over again of people just being so grateful for the opportunity to be able to express these things because it feels like it's not okay most of the time. So maybe people do actually want more of that, but then it is all in how it's framed because you can't just walk into a an Applebee's and stand up and... <laughs>
0: Yeah. Well, you could. (laughs) And more of us should. Um, So I'm curious with this particular grief, the way it manifests in the book around this friend, this missing friend, um, was that like, can you say that specifically something you lived a version of or what
3: grief was it articulating if there is a specific one? Yeah. I mean, it's funny. Friends would read this book, which is a novel and say, oh my God, I didn't know you lost a friend like this. And I said, it's, you know, it's fiction. Like I, it's a story that I, that, you know, they say, write what, you know, I I think it's more like write the emotion that is very present in you. So where you can ground yourself in that emotion. And even if you put yourself in a different place or situation, you're writing from that emotional state. Right. So for me, it comes from that, loss of thinking everything was aligned in something a person that i thought I, I i would be with or was happy with or some life situation that i thought was perfect for me and having that not work out like repeatedly um the 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 loss of that like like i said taking the flip side of that coin of just like okay what is the other mirror image of this that is more like grounded loss but is still that ambiguous loss where it's like well he could be alive like i he's just missing like i don't know there's no body like we we don't know ah yeah you know
0: yeah that's the unique
3: and that feeling of like Mm -hmm. hanging on to something and hoping it works out like that feeling is something that i know really well you could call it like codependency you can call it a lot of things but like um it comes out of a deep love and a deep like empathy um in its unhealthy shadow state it's uh you know Kind of traps you in this longing, so it's it's writing to that feeling and wanting to put structure to a story that shows that feeling. But mm-hmm. I don't personally have that situation of someone disappearing,
0: which is which I which I suspected. I, I mean, I kind of knew that, but which I'm is strange like, what is that it, like what is it holding?
3: Yeah, uh, my wife Chelsea does have that very real same situation, mm-hmm. and that was a, a one of the first conversations we had was talking to her, uh, even interviewing her about that her emotional truth of that situation of someone being missing and just not knowing anything. Just, you just don't know, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Like, do I start grieving like they're alive or, or I mean that they're dead or do I trust that they're finding some safe place? Oh, to- I
0: love that slip up because it is both. <laughs> it is this
3: like, cause there's grief it about is. them
0: being alive somewhere it's all
3: mixed up. and not knowing. Yeah. yeah, yeah and they're totally. not calling you. Like there's, there's anger. There's like, mm-hmm. well, okay, they're okay, but if they're really really okay uh what the hell <laughs> you know yeah, right um, so yeah, I got to interview her about that and mm-hmm. talk about all that and and she was actually really grateful she was like, I, you actually kind of found the right emotional tone of this like 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 this feels really true to me you know when she mm-hmm. when she read the book um so yeah it's it's the kind of like I found a lot of things with creativity and uh, uh, writing stories the cause and effect comes out of order. And sometimes you Mm -hmm. just kind of feel your way into something that you later have more real world grounded reasons for it being true. Um, Mm -hmm. But yeah. Thanks, Nick. Y'all can
0: get uh, lots of, lots of mores of Nick. (laughs) Lot mores, lots of mores of Nick at uh, nickjana.com. You can get Hitomi through his website and a lot of the music uh, that you hear here on the podcast, versions of it, even literally some of the tracks on his albums available through his website, uh, go there. And it'll, again, be a link in the liner notes. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Thank you, Nick. Goodbye. Goodbye. Goodbye, everyone. (laughs) (laughs) Until next time, we'll see you in your ears.